it's amazing how God can take uh, the scriptures and, and even a familiar passage of scripture, maybe one that you've read several times, and he'll really uh, get a hold of your heart and mind and, and just really work you over with it. And that's kind of what he did with me this week. Uh, it, we're going to be in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 25, and that's the reason I knew the text that you're referring to, Amanda, and what chapter it was. It's not that I'm encyclopedic in my knowledge of, of uh, chapter and verse, but rather this is our text that we're going to be looking at today. Matthew 25, we're going to be in reading in verse 31 in just a moment. Now this whole service has had a definite theme that hopefully you've picked up on, and that is one of compassion. And I appreciate again our youth that have uh, taken part in, um, in bringing attention to the to the problems that are out there and also an opportunity for us to alleviate some of those problems. Now, as I considered what to preach today, one of my first thoughts was, hey, compassion, I'll just look at the, the parable of the compassionate Samaritan or the good Samaritan. But as I thought about things, as I prayed about things, I, I, I just didn't feel led to do that. Instead, I, I felt led to look at the passage that we're going to look at today. And... They're pretty, really pretty familiar verses. I think that, um, that at least one of these verses is quoted at least in part pretty often. Uh, but we're going to look at Christ's teaching about the coming judgment and how we should treat the least of these. And uh, you may have read these verses a lot of times. I know I've read them several times because, I mean, it's Matthew's Gospel. And, and many times if, if you're reading through the Bible, maybe you think, well, I can, if I can just start in Matthew's Gospel... Maybe I can do it. And, and maybe you get to the end of, of Matthew and, and maybe trail off somewhere after that. But probably you've read Matthew 25 several times. Again, I know that, that I have, but it had never really sunk down into my heart and mind what Christ was saying until I really just stopped and considered His words. Now the message that jumped off the page at me was this. One day each of us, you and me, everybody, will be judged by Christ based on our charitable works, which are evidences of true faith. So if you have Matthew 25 found, why don't you stand with me? We're going to begin reading in verse 31, and we're going to go to the end of the chapter. Matthew 25:31. It says, But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them from one another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you, have, that you did it to one of these brethren of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones into eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to, nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. 
sick and in prison, and you did not visit me? Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Thank you. You may be seated. Now the first obvious truth that's in our passage right there at the beginning is that one day each and every one of us will stand before Christ as our judge. One day each of us is going to stand before Christ as our judge. Therefore, we better be prepared for it. Therefore, we better be prepared for it. Now Jesus starts out his teaching by talking about his return both as king and judge. Now we're not very familiar with those images of Christ being king and judge. Maybe king more than judge because we talk about him being the Messiah and, and some of the associations that come along with that. We talk about his triumphal entry where they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And so we have maybe a little faint glimpse of Jesus as king, but we don't think of him as judge. We're, we're more comfortable, we're more familiar with him in his humiliation. We're, we're more comfortable with Jesus, meek and mild. We're more familiar with the little baby Jesus as he lay in the manger. That's who we're comfortable with. But one of these days, Jesus will come back and there will be no more humiliation. There will be uh, no, more, uh, no more meek and mild. He's going to come back in his splendor and his glory. And Jesus makes that very plain in, in our text. And when he does, look at what it says he's going to do. In uh, uh, Where is that at? Well, right there at the beginning, um, verse 32. All the nations will be gathered before him. When he comes back, he will judge the nations. Now, this, this language of Christ has been understood all kinds of ways. Some people say, well, this just means uh, Christians to the exclusion of Jews. Some say it's the Jews only, excludes everybody else. Some say, no, it's just Gentiles. Some, people come up with all sorts of things. But I think the easiest, most obvious, simplest explanation of this is that Jesus is going to uh, he's, he's going to judge everybody. One day, everybody from every nation will stand before the Lord. The Bible says we'll all give an account and we'll be punished or rewarded according to our deeds. We're not saved by our deeds, but we are punished or rewarded for them. Now, it's important to note that the word nations in the Greek is in the neuter gender and them is in the masculine. Now, didn't that just bless your soul? I'm surprised I get an amen out of that. Now, that sounds like, okay, who cares, Jeff? That's, that's not a big deal. It is a big deal because it's important. Some people read this and they say, well, the nations will stand before him. And if you look, it says, then he will separate them as the shepherd separates sheep from goats. And they say, well, the nations will come. And so he's going to divvy out people according to where they were born, where they lived. So in that view, there are going to be Americans over here and Mexicans over here and, and Afghans over here and, you know, whoever over here. But that's not the way this reads because the neuter and the masculine and all that stuff... It means that he's going to deal with us individually. Every person is going to stand before Christ, and just as he deals with us individually in salvation, he deals with us individually in the judgment. He's not going to say, okay, every American's going to heaven. He's saying, you, I'm going to deal with you one-on-one. -on -one. And that's important. All people from all over the earth will stand before him one day. Now, that doesn't seem like that big of a truth, does it? Say, okay, I can go along with that. Let's move on to point two. 
But I think Alexander McLaren may, maybe uh, hit the nail on the head the best. Of, he, of, of this passage, he said, there is fear less, and he's an old-time writer, so his language is a little bit different from ours. But he said, there is fear less in occupying the mind in the study of the details and trying to pierce the mystery it partly unfolds. We should forget our own individual share in it. Better to burn in our hearts the thought, I shall be there, than to lose the solemn impression in efforts to under, unravel the difficulties of the passage. In other words, we must remember that we, we are going to stand before Jesus. You are going to stand before Jesus. Think about that. I tried this week to picture myself standing before Christ. And as I thought of standing before Him, and then Him using this criteria that He uses in this passage as He applied it to me, I almost shuddered to think about it. And I hope the Holy Spirit burns deep into each of our hearts that we will one day stand before Christ. You are going to stand before Jesus Himself one of these days. And on that day, the Bible says, Jesus Himself said, He'll make a separation. Now, He talks about two different animals, sheep and goats. I don't have any experience with sheep and goats, and so I have a hard time relating. Maybe you've dealt with them a long time. Maybe you've not dealt with them at all. Uh, I have a hard time with it. But back in, back in that day, and, and in Palestine even today, the sheep tended to be, uh, have, have white hair, and, and the goats had black hair, and so it was easy for the shepherd to identify them. Now, it was not uncommon for them to have the sheep and the goats grazing together, but at the end of the day, they would separate them. They, they didn't all go to the same place. And because of their temper, temperaments, the people in ancient times began to associate sheep, which were mild, uh, tend, tend to be kinder, more tender-hearted, I guess you'd say. They associated that with people that had that same characteristics. But goats were more quarrelsome. They were always butting heads. They, they, were, uh, they were not very kind. And so in antiquity, the goats became a, a picture of somebody who was an impure or a profane person. Now, again, I can't really relate to sheep and goats very well, but I can cattle a little bit because... We did have cows. We didn't have any goats and sheep. When I was a kid, I remember it was my eighth grade graduation. My parents gave me some amount of money. And at the same time, I got a Simmental heifer that just happened to be that same amount of money. So uh, I just paid them with the money they gave me, and so it was all good. Now, the heifer was, she, like I said, she's a Simmental. She's a light tan, and she had a white face and, and white belly and, and legs and stuff like that. But all the other cows that we had were black Angus. And so it was not hard to spot my cow out in the pasture with all the other cows because they were all black, and she was the only one that, was, that, that had light-colored hair. And you could spot her from a mile away. Oh, there's Babe. That's why I named her. I don't know why. Because Babe's a pig, right? But I named my, my heifer Babe. Anyway, so I could spot Babe long ways away. It, it was easy to see... My, my cow. And that's kind of the picture here. One day we're all going to stand before Christ and there's not going to be any hiding. There's not going to be any blending in. See, to others down here, we might look okay. We might fool people. But you know what? Jesus sees our true colors. And one of these days, we're going to stand before Him and there's not going to be any, hey, I'm part of New Hope Baptist Church or I'm a Baptist or I'm any of that stuff. It's, are you a sheep or a goat? And if you were standing before Christ right now, what do you think he'd identify you as? Would he say, you're sheep, 
or would he say, you're a goat? Because one day he'll make a separation. And notice the distinctions that are given uh, starting in verse 33. And notice the the distinctives about the sheep. The goat his right. Now that's a place of honor, a place of blessedness in the minds of the ancients. So when Jesus, the, the Bible talks about him ascending and sitting where? At the Father's right hand. It's a place of blessedness, a place of honor. Okay? It also goes on to say that it, it calls them, uh, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, to a kingdom prepared for you. But it's only the sheep that get it, because there's a separation that's made. And look at verse 33. Uh, let's see. Oh, sorry, verse 35. Here's the reason. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat, and so on and so forth. Now, the basis of this, of this reward seems to be acts of kindness or acts of love or acts of compassion. And if this were the only passage that we had that spoke about salvation, we could come to a wrong conclusion, wouldn't we? Because it almost seems like Jesus is saying, you did good, therefore you get to heaven. You didn't do good, therefore you go to hell. But if we, we can't take a passage in isolation. Because if you look at all of what the Bible teaches, including what Jesus himself taught, he says, and the Bible as a whole says, that works spring from faith. So let me be as clear as I know how. You will not go to heaven based on your works. Can I, get, can I say it any plainer? You will not go to heaven because of what you do. So what do we make of this? Well, again... The Bible says, and, and to use the words of a famous, uh, a famous author, we are saved by faith alone, but by a faith that is not alone. If you have a true living faith, it's going to produce works. That's what James said. James said, you say you have faith, congratulations. Show it to me. I have faith, and I'll show it to you by my works. If you have faith, it's going to show itself. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What's on the inside is going to come out. It's like having a tea bag. Now, that, what's in that tea bag is going to come out when it gets put in the water, isn't it? It can be when the heat's turned up, what's on the inside is going to come out. Or it can just be as it sits in the water and it seeps. But what's on the inside is going to come out. You have a new heart? Great. You have the Spirit of Christ in you? Great. You're a child of God. Now your, your desires have been changed? Fantastic. What's that going to look like? What's he say? Verse 35. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. These things that are happening are just an outworking of our faith. And notice these things that I I, I just love what Jesus tells us because he doesn't say, I was hungry and so you started a foundation for me and gave millions of dollars. I'm proud of that. I'm glad because he didn't say that because I don't have a million dollars to give. He didn't say, I want you to donate a yacht to charity. that's That's what you need to do. He said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. You can prepare a meal. Right? He said, I was thirsty. He gave me something to drink. You can give somebody a glass of water. He said, I was sick. You can go visit somebody in the hospital. That's easy stuff. That's simple stuff. Stuff that we can all do. Now, who, who, did, who did we do it to? Um, if you look at verse 40, the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Now, people come down different places. Some people focus on the brothers. Uh, they, they focus on on 
on the brother's part. And they say, well, Jesus was poor. Or they focus on the least of these, sorry. Whew. They focus on the least of these and they say, well, Jesus was poor and he didn't have anything. He was destitute. Therefore, when we minister to the poor, we're fulfilling this command. Other people say, no, 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 that's not it. Jesus said, these poor brothers of mine. And so they focus on that. They say, it's talking about other Christians. So when we focus on ministering to Christians, that's when we fulfill the command of Christ. So which is it? Is it in ministering to the poor or is it in ministering to Christians? Yes. See, we're like that, we're like that lawyer in Luke 10. You remember, he stood up and he put Jesus to the test and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, What's the law say? And he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, You got it right. Do that and live. Kind of shut him down. So then a lawyer wants to justify himself, the Bible says. And so then he says, Well, then who's my neighbor? That's what Jesus said. There once was a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he tells the story of the compassionate Samaritan. And the point of that story isn't so much the, the who, it's the what. The point of that story is we are a neighbor when we show love and compassion to the people that God puts in our path. See, we want to limit who it is that we show love and compassion to. We want to limit, we want to put a face on it so we can say, I can feel comfortable ministering to these people and feel okay about excluding those people. For whatever reason, we can come up with all kinds of justifications. But Jesus didn't leave us that option. Paul didn't leave us that, that option. Listen to Galatians 6.10. He said, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to who? Those who are of the household of faith. So is Jesus' command here, help the poor? Yes. Is it to help Christians? Yes. Is it to help poor Christians? Yes. It's serving them, and in doing so, Jesus said, you're serving Christ. So those are the sheep, but then he, he goes on to the goats in verse 41 and following, and it's the exact same criteria, and it's all negative this time. You saw me hungry, you didn't give me any food. You saw me thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink. And as Barnes said, by, by not doing good to the followers of Christ, they showed they had no real love for him. By not doing good to the poor and needy, to the stranger and the prisoner, they showed that they had not his spirit and were not like him and were unfit for his kingdom. They're placed on his left. In the ancient world, that's the side of dishonor. And so notice the comparison between the sheep and the goats. With the sheep, it's come, right? Come. Inherit the kingdom that's been prepared for you. What does it say in verse 41? They'll say to those on his left, depart from me. Exact opposite. They're removed from the Lord's presence for all eternity. The sheep, blessed to my father. The goats, the cursed ones. The sheep, the kingdom that's been prepared for you. The goats, look at this. They're going to hell. But look at verse 41. Depart from me, cursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared not for you, but for the devil and his angels. God didn't, God didn't make hell to send people to. He made it for the devil and his angels, but if people decided to cast their lots with him instead of with God... If they, if they want to follow him instead of following Christ, they're going to end up in the same place. Now understand, and this, this, is, this is counter to what a big movement is right now in our society. Look at verse 46. 
Because a lot of people say hell is going to be temporary. Maybe it's, it's corrective, but after some time people will have suffered in hell, maybe one year, a thousand years, a million years, and then God will either let them into heaven because they'll have a change of heart, or God will just wipe them out. He'll annihilate them. That's a big movement right now. But look at verse 46 very carefully. It says, These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Maybe yours says eternal punishment, or everlasting punishment, the other eternal life. Same Greek word that's used both of the punishment and the life. You say, well, if it's just... An eternal, uh, if, if the eternal punishment doesn't speak of really eternity, even that's what it says, but if it, doesn't, if it doesn't really mean that, if it just means that it's temporary, that means that this life, this kingdom, the, the righteous will inherit, it's just as temporary. It doesn't work that way. Hell is just as eternal as heaven is. And we're all going one place or the other. Understand the horror of what Jesus is saying. There are going to be people one day who are separated from him forever. No turning back. And it's not just separated and you're on the beach. It's separated and it's conscious torment. It's conscious punishment. That's some heavy stuff. And this is a convicting passage, I think, because while I don't have to have any fear of hell because I'm a believer, it's convicting for me because it highlighted something in my own life that I need to do better about. Because we say, oh, Lord, please show me your will. And God says, look at Matthew 25. Take care of the poor. Care for people. Love them. Okay, God, tell me something else, though. Uh... Isn't that the way we do? We say, this is what... I want God's will in this area, but He says, well, do all this stuff. Here's what I'm telling you to do. We say, yeah, but... Help me out over here. And Jesus is telling us what His will is. For the hungry, give them food. For the thirsty, give them something to drink. And maybe that highlights an area that you need to work on, too. Because isn't it easy when we see people that need something to justify not helping them? Oh, well, I'm sure they're taking advantage of the system. I bet that person, I bet they're not even trying to get a job. Oh, I, you know, we, we come up with all sorts of things. Jesus says, you see somebody in need? Help them. And this is so much bigger. We talked about Compassion International. This is so much bigger than that. Because this is eternity that we're dealing with. Because Jesus himself told us the criteria that's going to be used in the judgment. The book of Revelation says the same thing. It says that the, the, the Lamb's book of life was opened. Who's a Christian? And then it says, and the books were opened. And they were judged out of the things that are written in the books. Our deeds were written down. And we're going to be judged according to what we've done in the body, the Bible says. So using this criteria that Jesus says himself was going to be used in the judgment, where do you fall? And that was a hard passage for me to look at and say, man, I'm not, doing, I'm not doing good enough. Are you a sheep? Are you a goat? 
That's the first thing you need to. That's the first thing you need to settle today. If you're a if you're a child of God, you're a sheep. But notice there are a lot of people who think they're sheep, but they're really goats. Because Jesus says, "Depart from me." And they said, "The Lord, when did we see you? If we would have seen you, we would have helped you. We'll travel for miles to help you. When did we see you?" And he basically says, "You know, the way you live your life is going to is going to show what's in your heart." And you may go to church, you may take communion, you may be baptized, you may lead a, a Bible study, you may teach Sunday school, you may lead the singing, you may do any of those things, but if you're not a sheep, you're not making it. So are you really saved? Have you had your sin forgiven? Not are you perfect, not are you sinless, are you forgiven? Because if not, you can be today. The Bible says to, to repent and believe. But there's a message in here for believers too. I'm not preaching social gospel. I don't believe in the social gospel. I believe in the gospel, but you know what? If the gospel's in our hearts, it's going to come out the way that we live, and that's going to affect the way that we treat people. Our Christianity, our faith, must be more than words. It must be deeper than that. It needs to be more than come to church once a week, once every two weeks, once a quarter, once a year. It needs to be daily walking with the Lord. Somebody say, Will I? it's a private thing. It is, but it's going to come out. It's going to show. If you have faith, it will change the way you live. It will cause us to love people in a tangible way. So should you pray for somebody? Sure. Should you help them out if you can? Yes. Somebody as Will said, don't pray for a hole when you're leaning on a shovel. Put feet to your prayers. And that's my challenge to each person here, myself included. These verses call each of us as individuals and as a church to do better. It calls us to care for the less fortunate around us. Give real people with real needs real help. What did James say? He said that true and undefiled religion is this. You know what it said? Visit the orphans and the widows in their distress and keep yourselves unstained by, by the world. Now we like to focus on being unstained, trying to live a holy life. But we tend to leave off the first part, taking care of those who can't care for themselves. We need to be Christ's hands and feet in the world because, as Jesus said, as you've done unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done unto me. Why don't you stand with me as the musician comes. And as you stand, I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. my hope that today you are really uncomfortable. Because I was really uncomfortable. And what a convicting thought it is that one day Jesus isn't going to say how many sermons did you preach? How many times did you go to church? How many times do you work at Bible school? Are those things good? Yeah. He's not going to say any of that. He's going to say, you saw that person that needs some food. Did you give me anything to eat? When that person was sick, did you see him in the hospital?
were saying, oh, I just couldn't find the time. Yeah, it seemed pretty hollow. And I'll just be honest with you guys. I have assurance of salvation, but when I read this, it made me say, am I really a sheep? Because if that's the way I should be doing, and I'm not doing it nearly enough, am I really a sheep? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that well, you call us some big stuff. And it's it's in the little things that end up being such big things with you. Preparing a meal. Go see somebody that, you know, needs cheering up. Show them that you love them just by dropping them a note in the mail. Give them a call. Stop by their hospital room. Go to their house. Lord, we thank you that you don't just call us to do the big things in life, with big money, big expertise, big possessions. You call us to the simple things, and that you see that as a service to you. Lord, help each of us, help all of us, and help us as a church to do better. Help us to show your love, not just in word only, but in words and deeds. Lord, if there's somebody here who, if they were to stand before you today, would end up being a goat, convict their hearts and let them know that they need a Savior. And let them them become your child today. Lord, we thank you that even when we fail, that you offer forgiveness. And that you'll still use us. 